back on the Football Outside the Box podcast, where we discuss the past, the present, and the future of football. Big, big, big news coming up, shock U-turns, and some delight finally for the boy one suckle him here. Nothing confirmed yet for him, though. But let's start with that one because he is a happy camper over here. Frankie de Jong from Barcelona. Looks as if some agreement has been made between Man United and Barcelona over his transfer or potential transfer, I should say, to Man United. How do you feel about this? We've had multiple reports, right, saying... The initial fee is covered. I think the discussion or the agreement is set at around 65 million euros slash 55 million pounds. And guess what? As soon as that news comes out, we have another link or another agreement in place with this young left back that I have to say I don't know anything about in the name of Tyrell Malasia. In the region of around 13 million pounds guaranteed. I, I think that what tells you, or I guess what that tells you is that it was true that the board and the recruitment and the scouting team, maybe not the scouting team, but they were all focused on getting this De Jong deal over the line. And with the initial fee agreed at 55 million pounds, now we know how much of a budget we have left. And as we know, Frankie De Jong was the top target for the new manager. It looks like he's going to come, albeit against his will. But like you said, I think we don't know how much the transfer budget is going to be, but with the $55 million up front fee, I think that pretty much leaves 100 mil, not counting the outgoings, period, um, to spend on top of De Jong. So I think we'll see more news coming in. That's why when... I saw a lot of people, a lot of the fans overreacting, saying, oh, City already signed Haaland, Liverpool signed Nunes, Arsenal are signing Gabriel, Jesus, they signed this youngster. What are we doing? You know, have some patience. You know, like I said in the previous episodes, Frankie De Jong, even if he signed, he's not even going to report to the club until the second week of July. As are a lot of the international players that, were involved in the international camp after the season end. So come on, let, let, let's have some patience. You know, we have a new regime in place. Of course, we have to see it in action, but so far their words all sound good. Um, I don't know if you, how many of you are familiar with this, but the new CEO after Ed Woodward, his name is Richard Arnold. He sat down at a local pub with some of the fans which was leaked against his knowledge, I believe. But what he was pretty much saying was that, do you want me to go out and sign players? You know, doesn't that ring a bell? I don't know if he was, you know, making a slight dig at his predecessor, but I think, of course, we need to see more. We need to see changes, but give them some time. Give them some time to do their work the right way. You got to give time for change and for change to occur 
and for a meaningful change to occur at that, not just a nominal one. I definitely hear you on the patience because even myself as an Arsenal fan, I, in previous years, would get very fed up as to how long it would take to get deals done. And what has happened a lot in the past is that players would get snatched out. However, this season, as you just mentioned, we've been quite quick on it. To be fair, only one has been truly confirmed. One is almost basically confirmed. But then my fear with what happens with, with waiting a long time is pretty much what happened with the Rafinha deal. We were, we were so close to getting this deal done, everybody thought that we pretty much had it in the bag. And then out of nowhere, Chelsea comes and they're not looking like the ones to snatch him up. And that's happened in the past several times with many players, many teams. And these are reasons why you want to kind of get the business done quickly. But I do understand what you're saying about being patient because a lot of there's a lot of different moving parts that go into a transfer deal, which is very understandable. And one thing that frustrated me a lot personally with Arsenal was it was happening with every single deal, it seemed. Even several years ago, I remember being in school and we'd made no signings all summer. And then out of nowhere, five signings on transfer deadline day. One of them being Mikel Arteta, actually, funnily enough. After the 8-2 thrashing. I hate to bring it up, but that 8-2 thrashing. There you go, though. And this, and this is what I'm saying, though, is that even last season that happened where we end up dropping points early on in the season that end up coming crucial right now. So last season, we decided to wait until transfer deadline day to go and get players like Odegaard, for example. And then what happens after that? We drop nine points at the start of the season, three what could have been crucial points at Brentford, which would have gotten us into top four. That would have helped us to reach our goal. And this is what I'm talking about. I, I have no problems with getting the deals over the line. Bef- let, me, let me rephrase that. I have no problems with getting the transfer targets that you've already set out before the season starts. But when you wait too long, you risk losing out to your rivals in and around you in terms of them snapping up on those players. Well, I think in Rafinha's case, it's, it's different. You know, Leeds, it seems clear that Leeds have always wanted in the north of, or at least in the region of 65 million pounds. And Arsenal, from the reports, it sounds like we're constantly lowballing them. And even after the Chelsea offer, I think they submitted an offer still below Chelsea's offer. So I think this is a little different from what you've been seeing as a fan in the past. I know, no, I hear you. But it does look like it's changing a little bit at Arsenal because, to be honest, I mean, Arsenal have made signings like Fabio Vieira before out of the blue, certainly. Even Nuno Tavares last year was slightly out of the blue. But I think Rafinha, I think, had Arsenal gotten creative with the way they were 
you know, paying for, for the player. I mean, to be honest, Rafinha was a luxury for Arsenal, at least for me, I think. I would because, agree. Right, so I can see why Arsenal were hesitant to pay the 65 million pounds that Leeds were looking for. But we see what Chelsea have gone and done. I think they've agreed a 55 million pounds up front plus an add-on and 10 million pounds. You know, come up with something different. 55 million plus 10 million pounds in add-ons. You know, some something of that sort to really seal the deal. And Arsenal kind of dragged it along for Chelsea to swoop in. And Chelsea now in a pole position to sign him. Maybe by the end of the week, they sign him, you know. So, and plus, Chelsea have that Champions League spot. That That is big for a player who's never played in the Champions League like Rafinha. To be honest, the main point that you touched on is the one I'll agree with in the fact that he's not a player that we necessarily need right now. He's more of a luxury player at the moment. And I think had this been a player that was a quality top-class number nine going for that price range, I would have been upset because I think that is the player that we truly, truly need right now. And I think it would have been worth the investment to really step in and do that and just go all out for it. And losing out on a player of that caliber would have been very detrimental to us. But I think Rafinha is a player who we have many creative players like that, as we said in the last part, if you guys haven't heard that yet. Saka can play that role expertly already. So it's not like Rafinha was a necessary purchase. And I'd rather not spend all that money on him. I'd rather use that money and spend it on somebody like a real top quality number nine. No. Is that top quality number nine out there? Available? I don't know. I don't think so. I think we'd have to look deep into like a real raw player to come in and be that player in the future or something. But no, because I believe a lot in quality over just or how many games you've played and if you've technically proven yourself to the world. But pretty much to kind of touch that point, I'm okay with losing out on Rafinha to that level of money, but I would have been more upset if it was a striker because I think that's more in need. But Arteta did get his striker, it seems. Gabriel Jesus, is he the right guy? Is he going to thrive in a scenario where he's pretty much confirmed I don't even want to say confirmed but the favorite to be the starting number nine at Arsenal will that give him the confidence to strive on remains to be seen I don't think anybody's we haven't seen that in his career right and of course players can change you know Thierry Henry a good example he was a failure at Juventus came in at Arsenal great success Jesus, now I'm not comparing their qualities, Jesus and Thierry Henry, but I forget if it was Pep Guardiola or Arteta who came out and said this about him. But either one of them, you know, we know their philosophy and their style are very similar, but one of them came out and said about Jesus how how good of a presser he is. And we know how valuable that is to Arteta's game. You know, we see Arteta and, and his team, he... He sets them up to press them up high. And Jesus 
is is up there in terms of in his position, the ability to press the opposition and be or be in an organized press. So I think that's one area that could really help. And we, we saw how, you know, another expert in pressing in Eddie Nketiah, how he performed at the end of the season. A lot of the goals that he scored was from mistakes or they were from mistakes that he created by putting pressure. One thing that I can think of right now is against Chelsea, again, against uh, Leeds. So you would say Jesus actually fits his style really well. Now, whether going back to your comment, whether he's the certified number nine that you're, you're willingly paying 65, 80 million pounds for. I have, I have my doubts. I have question marks. I'm, I'm sure you do as well. We've touched on this multiple times before. So to be determined, but I mean, for that price, prem proven striker for a position that Arsenal needed, a decent signing. Yep, decent, I think, is an accurate word to describe. Don't think he's ideal, but it's decent. Looking at Newcastle now, they have signed a 35 million Batman from Lille. It seems like they're really assuring up their back line. They've also completed the signing of Nick Pope this week. That was for a 10 million deal, who has been quite impressive for Burnley, even though they have been a very disappointing side throughout their Premier League run. But he has been probably their shining light throughout it and has rightfully earned himself a stay in the Premier League. At a rising Newcastle side, do you think that this, this signing is going to be a real game changer for Newcastle coming into the future? We know that they've already assured themselves over last winter with Dan Byrne, as well, joining the team. How do you think they're going to look next season with this now? Or do you think they're going to make a couple more signings in midfield and attack? Or how do you see this playing out for them? What's Eddie Howe's game strategy here? Well, you can tell what they're going for here. They're, they're trying to build a solidified spine in their team. You know, the likes we saw at Chelsea, we... Chelsea chopping changed their managers, but they kept on winning because they had their core spine of Petr Cech, JT, Lampard, and Drogba. You know, core players in the heart of the field in each phase of the game. Attack, midfield, defense, and the keeper. And we're seeing that with Newcastle as well. We know they signed the midfielder from Lyon last winter in the name of Bruno Guimaraes. Now they've gone ahead and signed Sven Botman for around the same price as Bruno, who won the league with Leo last year and was a defender who is sought after by a lot of the big clubs. And this really tells you, I mean, I'm sure Newcastle are able to offer them big wages as well, but Newcastle, is, it's a really exciting project to be a part of. You know, and Nick Pope, he may not, he may not be the type of player to the similar likes of Sven Botman or Bruno Guimaraes who are on the rise, young, promising players. Nick Pope, I think, is already in his 30s, but he's a prem-proven keeper. He's even in the England setup. And Callum Wilson, I don't mind him. Actually, I think he's a pretty good striker. 
but he just, he just can't stay fit, you know. So, I think if Newcastle can find that core, that big piece that they're missing up top, which, to be honest, I I don't see any right now other than Mbappe maybe. So, <laughs> you know, they were linked with him. Um, so I know, but let's get real here. Yeah, that's that's um. I mean, who knows? In three years, when Mbappe's contract expires, it could be Real Madrid versus Newcastle for his signature. I could see it happening. So I I, I would I would assume that they're gonna find or look for or they're in the process of searching for that striker because you can't rely on Callum Wilson for the whole season. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I mean, I think Callum Wilson is he's a quality classic. Premier League striker, you know, for that mid-table team where you just know he's just the all-round striker that can use his experience and kind of do it all for them as a striker. But you know he's not going to produce greatness in any, like, real top-half team like that. But the main problem, as you said, the man can't stay fit. So... Let's see. I'll be interested to see how Eddie Howe pulls through with this team. They did have a great end to last season. So let's see if they continue with that. Moving back over to Chelsea, we did discuss... Sorry. Moving back over to Chelsea, we did discuss one winger that looks set to sign with them in Rafinha. But let's talk about another winger who was really looking like he was about to sign with them, but now the hype is now more in balance in favour towards Rafinha. But Raheem Sterling, is he going to sign or no? I, I think he's gone. I think he fits Chelsea into that team like a glove. His movement off the ball, I mean, it's... It's great, but even if they sign Rafinha and Sterling and they can deploy them on the right and the left, they can't put Havertz up there. You know, they need a striker. They need a number nine. And we saw reports, and I think this is just agent talk, but them being linked with Cristiano Ronaldo. The new owner has come in and is trying to just sign every player that just seems like a baller. It, it was funny. I saw this hilarious meme that was saying, looking for transfers for Chelsea. And it was a Google search of greatest players of all time. And they had Ronaldo, Messi, Maradona, Pele. <laughs> yeah. Pe- Pele can't run striker anymore. <laughs> yeah, for real. That's funny as fuck. But either way, obviously, again, we're going to get real here. Ronaldo's not moving to Chelsea. I mean, who knows? You know, we don't. We don't know. Uh, I like other lot, lot of other people. I'm inclined to think it's just Asian talk to you know facilitate the transfer activities at United. But who knows? I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't necessarily love United. You know, he would have no problem moving to Chelsea. Chelsea aren't necessarily technically a rival to us to to the likes of you know liverpool or a city would be and remember last summer he was being heavily linked with a move to city 
until you know sir alex ferguson stepped in and rio ferdinand and all them so who knows i mean i i don't think so either but who knows well i disagree with you in that ronaldo doesn't love man united i think they hold a special place in his heart otherwise he wouldn't have gone back to them there really was no reason for him to just go back to man united like that it's not like they were on the up or anything like that i feel no, like they were. well this year yes but last summer they were i mean he was part of the reason why though like them signing him was like oh this is part of the big rebuild ronaldo is back i get the sancho i get the Varan. But they weren't in any great position, in my opinion. We came second. We came third the year before. We just lost the Europa League final that summer. You, you, I mean, there's no denying we were on the ups until... Uh, we have to touch on this report as well. I don't know how many of you saw this, but Simon Stone is the BBC correspondent for Man United. He came out with a preseason report. One part stood out to me where it said players had a disconnect, right? Which was obvious to see. But the main reason that behind that was surrounding the captaincy, where I think he mentioned that Ralph Rangnick came in and asked of Ronaldo to be more of a mentor role to the younger players, which obviously led to players believing that Ronaldo should be the captain. I mean, you look at the stature of his his name in the game, what he's done. There's no denying that Ronaldo holds the upper hand in the debate for a captaincy over Harry Maguire. And when there's uncertainty regarding, you know, who should be the captain, there's players who support someone else to be a captain. Obviously, it's going to unsettle the, the incumbent captain in, in the name of Harry Maguire. So, and there's also reports that they are considering a captaincy change. So I don't know if if any of that was driven by Ronaldo himself, but the key factor is that Ronaldo and his presence pretty much derailed the squad harmony. So I don't think that is news to anybody, but it's it's been confirmed, right, by... Uh, a reputable journalist in the name of Simon Stone. So, Damn. So maybe that kind of backfired the whole plan. You know, like a plot twist, really, to the story. Yeah, I mean, again, we, we don't know if... It, it doesn't necessarily say if Ronaldo was the main driver behind that, that movement or that dis- disruption. But when you sign a player of that stature, it, it's bound to happen, you know? Yeah, but we went a bit off track there. I did want to talk back on the Chelsea striker situation because you were saying how they needed a striker. The other point I was going to say is you said that you don't like Havertz there. I actually like Havertz. I actually think that number nine suits him as a type of player that he is. I think he has great movement. He gets into great positions and... His finishing has improved a lot over the course of the season. And 
I think his link-up play has also improved a lot over the course of the season. He definitely took some time to get accustomed to the Premier League, but ever since he did, he's looked the part, honestly. And he could grow to be a driving influence for the Chelsea team, like one of their one of their leading players, honestly. In my opinion, I think he, he leads the line very well, actually. But I do think he needs that good supporting good supporting army to his left and right. Tucked in. I like the way how Chelsea look when they have the two creative inside forwards roaming with Mount. Even when Pulisic is there, I think those are the two ideal for now. But as you say, I think if Sterling comes in and I think if Rafinha comes in, those two could also play the part quite well. Here's my question now. If Rafinha does come in, is there space for Ziyech in the team? I've been reading reports that he may go to AC Milan. No. I mean, Ziyech was already falling out of favor already this season. And primarily the reason why I think they're going for Rafinha. They don't necessarily need Rafinha, you know, similar to Arsenal. Rafinha would be, I don't want to say a luxury player, but it, it would... Definitely just be an upgrade. It wouldn't be filling a hole like you know you would be in, in, in the case of Chelsea if they were to sign a centre-back. But, I mean, Rafinha is the kind of player who will instantly upgrade that attack. So, I think, I mean, I don't know if Ziyech will leave, but he's already fallen out of favour over the course of last season. I don't necessarily see him playing a big part in the in that team this upcoming season. But, I mean, going back to your point on Havertz, can you rely on him for the whole season? I don't, I, his finishing is shaky to me. It's inconsistent. When you say rely on him, are we including injuries in there? Or are we saying in the scenario that he stays fit? I mean, everything. I don't think he's not the type of player to get injured very often. So that is a, that is a very good aspect in it, in it on its own. But, you know, Chelsea are having to play at least 50 games. You know, they played 60, close to 60 games last season, I think. Can you rely on him to start 40, 50 of those games and constantly deliver goals? I don't think so. Him by himself, no. But I do like him as their, their given starting striker going into the season. I think one more play. You see, like... If Chelsea had made a signing like Jesus, I think that would have been suitable for them because I think that would have been somebody who's not necessarily coming in to be your starting ready-up number nine because I think Havertz can do that role. But So let me, let, let, me, let me answer it like this. If you're asking me if Chelsea need a backup to Havertz, I'll answer you yes. Do Chelsea need somebody to start over Havertz? I think Havertz is sufficient enough to start, but needs a backup. I think we can agree to disagree. They don't, they don't have a striker at that club right now. And for me, I think you need at least three strikers. I can agree with, with that number, but I will agree that we're going to have to disagree on the Havertz thing. I rate Havertz a lot. You guys let us know what you think in the comments. Do you think Havertz is a sufficient enough striker for Chelsea going into the season? Or do you think that they need an upgrade on him? 
moving now into Liverpool, they have sold Minamino to Monaco. Do you think that Liverpool are going to miss him, though, in the sense of he came on as a sub, he was like a great super sub for them, but is he really someone that they need in the team or is it just good to kind of get rid of him at this point? I mean, you know, he came out himself. He was unhappy with the situation. He said, yeah, I've played well in those cup games. But in the end, it, it didn't matter. Nobody gave a shit, pretty much. That, that's what he was saying. You know, it's... We think a lot about these situations on the club side of view or their point of view. But you think about the players. They know themselves whether they're an important piece of this club or to this team or, or if they're not. He, he was a big part in, I think, both of the domestic cup trophies this season. But they were coming back saying this is a failure of a season. You know? So for a player who primarily only played in those cup games to come back and hear that, oh, yeah, you've, you've, you've played a big part in our two domestic cup trophies, but we're going to count the season as a failure. That, that must not feel good. That cannot feel good to the player. So I don't, I think he pretty much got fed up of playing that second or even third fiddle role in that Liverpool side. And I mean, they keep signing those attacking outlets. They've just signed two new players from the Portuguese league in the name of Luis Diaz and Erling Haaland. So I don't, I think we have to look at it from a player's point of view. I think he, he wanted out and it was time for him to go because he was never going to get into that side. Do you think he was a waste of a signing though in the end? Do you think he was misused? Because he came in with a lot of promise. No, I mean, I for that amount of price, I think it was like 10, 15 million pounds. They've pretty much recouped all that back. Nowadays, I mean, back then, 10, 15 years ago, I think five million around then was a risk-free signing. Nowadays, it's more like 10, 15 mil. If he if he succeeds, great. Then we won the lottery. If he doesn't, whatever. It's just 10 mil. We can easily recoup that back in the current market. So probably a failure of a move for the player on the player side, but not necessarily for Liverpool. Yeah, fair enough. And on that note, that is about the allotted time we have for you guys. So let us know what you guys think about this transfer discussion. Let us know if you have any transfer rumors or news for us as well. Leave your comments on the Facebook page. Remember to subscribe, like, subscribe to the channel on Apple or Spotify, whichever one you're listening to us on right now. And remember to like the Facebook page, download the episodes, and guess what? Turn on the notifications, baby. Yeah, thank you for listening today as always. We will see you guys on Friday where hopefully we'll have Jesus confirmed we'll have Dayong here we go or a David Ornstein news bomb 
any of those. And we'll also t- briefly touch on Calvin Phillips' move to Manchester City and why Noah particularly thinks that is a poor move. But anyway, that'll be it for today's episode. Thank you for tuning in as always. Thank you very much. And peace out. Thank you.